So as you heard earlier, this is our last Sunday worship service in this hall. The sanctuary is um, almost complete. The last pews are about to be put together. Next week, we will enter behind the bagpipes. We'll bring in the Bible and other signs of our faith. And we'll see that space again renewed. The outward signs of that renewal will be obvious. Paint, new paint from floor to ceiling. New tile and new softer pew coverings so that the better to sleep on. (laughs) New lighting, new sound. Many more places now where persons in wheelchairs or using walkers can sit uh, unimpeded and in comfort with their families. A hearing loop that will make the space much friendlier to the hearing impaired. Automatic doors to make it easier uh, for people to get in. All of these things are good, very good, excellent even. Those are the things that will greet our eyes and our ears when we return. But I've been thinking lately about a more invisible but just as real gathering that will surround us as we run that race back into the sanctuary. Time will not permit me to tell you of them all. Gideon Blackburn will be there, our founder. Could he have imagined when he and his small congregation on the American frontier at that time in Tennessee walked into that small box sanctuary in 1811, that here we would be in 2016, maintaining a reformed witness in a very different-looking Franklin, Tennessee. Lena Reynolds, she'll be there that brave and faith-filled and, most of all, compassionate follower of Jesus Christ. She dedicated her life to ministering to the sick in Africa and gave, at the end of her life, a sizable endowment to this congregation for global mission. She will be cheering as we enter, I believe. Maybe not so much for the building renovation, as the budget renovation that preceded it, a renovation that doubled our mission resources and resulted in an explosion of new opportunities near and far, enabling things like yesterday's uh, second Saturday for mission to take place and many, many others. Distributing food to those in need, more than that, distributing companionship, and friendship. Bill Barr will be there. Many of you don't know him, wouldn't have known him. I did not get the opportunity to know him. He died before I became pastor here. But his name is on that conference room just down the hall where we do most of our big educational events, and it's on there for good reason. He was a top-notch thinker and teacher I understand, Uh, and he challenged everyone in his classes to go deeper and to 
ask more questions and to never stop learning, especially about the deep and rich Reformed tradition, which teaches, among other things, that we can go an entire lifetime of learning and barely scratch the surface of the richness and wonder of God in Christ. And his sister, Anne Weems, she'll be there too, I think, the poet laureate of the Presbyterian Church USA, who stood in that room named after her brother 11 years ago and read words to us that caused our souls to take flight. She'll be there too. Time will not permit, truly. There's not enough time to speak of all the others who will surely be there, who taught Sunday school classes, accompanied youth through the storm and stress of adolescence, held the hands of the grieving, stood in the pulpit and proclaimed the word in season and out of season through wars and a great depression and a civil rights movement, proclaiming a Christ from that pulpit who loved the world and who loved each and every person who sat in those pews, all with a grace that is unearned and yet brings life. People who cooked in the kitchen, extended hospitality to strangers, baptized babies, married couples, stood at grave sites proclaiming the ancient promises of life. People who fed the hungry, lifted up the poor, built houses for the homeless, traveled to places of pain near and far, lived lives of quiet faithfulness in good times and in bad. Time will not permit me to name them all. I think they'll all be there. And now I'm going to ask you to do something that I think I can only get away with because we're in this space. I want to invite you in the silence to name them. Who? The ones who will be there for you as you enter that sanctuary, cheering you on. If you need to name them in that honorable Presbyterian tradition of silence, you can. But I also want you to feel the freedom to let their names ring out loud in this space here and now, surrounding us as a cloud of witnesses. Who are those people for you?
Tom Long says that the writer of Hebrews is really a preacher and invites us to imagine the preacher standing at the pulpit at this moment in the sermon that is the book of Hebrews reaching a crescendo as he names the names of all of these ancient ones and and he's building and building and building and then he just, as is sometimes the case for preachers, he just runs out of time. Time will not permit me, he says. And as is the case with a lot of preachers, he keeps on going. So he starts naming their deeds, his, his arms sweeping behind him as he tells of their, their great faith, even in suffering. It's like a, it's like a chain is running through the middle of that sanctuary. As Tom Long says, that, that chain is part of an unbroken cord of faith that stretches from the beginning of human history all the way into the heavenly sanctuary of the city of God. It is a chain of faithful people holding on to the cord and to each other. Links formed by generation after generation after generation. And then in this text you can almost feel a silence descend. All of those names and deeds ringing out. And then he says, therefore. Therefore. Now that we have named all of these people in our minds, we are tempted to elevate them, to venerate them, to place them high up on pedestals and then to bemoan our own times if only we could get back to the good old days of Gideon and Lena we are tempted to say now those were the days those were the days but the preacher will not let us do that he will not let us settle into nostalgia or sentimentalism that great chain of faith runs right through this sanctuary, right through this space. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Then the preacher says, take hold of it. It is your time to run. It is your time to take hold of the chain of faith. Your generation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. For a couple of years, a group of friends and I ran the Ragnar race, relay race in Tennessee. It's a relay style race. Twelve people divide into two vans, and for two days run uh, relay style from Chattanooga to Nashville. By the time it's over, all 12 people will run three legs of that race, anywhere from three to nine or ten miles apiece. When it was my turn in one of those years to run one of the legs, it was the year it was freezing cold, well below freezing cold enough that icicles were forming on my eyebrows. It was dark. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. 
we were in a small town. I can't even remember the name of it. I was standing out on the relay point when I saw the headlamp of my teammate approaching from the dark, holding out the bright orange snap bracelet that served as the baton. I held out my wrist, and she popped it onto my wrist, and I turned and faced the night. It was my turn to run. My little headlamp was no match for the darkness of rural Tennessee. As soon as I was out of town, I was scared. It was a five-mile leg. There were no other runners around me except for a guy dressed like Elvis who raced by me and disappeared into the night saying, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> it, was, it was there when the only thing keeping me company was the sound of my feet hitting the asphalt and various forms of wildlife. It was there gripping that pepper spray canister ever so tightly, only able to see as far as my meager light would shine. It was there that I, I realized that had I known where this leg was actually taking me, had I known how cold it would be and how alone I would be, I might not have accepted that baton. But, you know, that's faith. Grasping a baton in the dark and then turning and putting one foot in front of the other, holding onto that ancient chain and running your leg of the race. Somewhere in the dark up ahead, I heard a sound. It was a cowbell clanging. And I knew that one of our teammates, who was unfortunately a Mississippi State fan, had brought her Mississippi State cowbell. And so I knew what that sound meant. The van was up ahead, my team. And as I approached, the bell got louder, and I could hear them cheering. 2.30 in the morning, and they were all out there in the cold. You've got this. You're making great time. We'll see you at the handoff. And I went by, my pace quickening, because now I knew I was not alone. They're all going to be there next Sunday, every last one of them, the faithful from every time and place. They are here now, surrounding us, worshiping with us the one who runs ahead of us, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So church, let us take our place in that line. Let us run the race for our time and place because we are not alone. Amen.